It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everyone. Welcome to Defending and Commending the Faith. That faith is the Christian faith. For some time we have been discussing the will of God. We know God has a sovereign will that only He knows. This is what Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 calls the secret things. That verse also informs us that God has a revealed will that belongs to any of His people. Paul's prayer was that the Colossian church may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And Epaphras' prayer that they might stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God, as found in Colossians 1, verse 9, and chapter 4, verse 12. That clearly means that God is ready and willing to make His will known. Wisdom in Scripture always means knowledge of the course of action that will please God. James 1 verse 5 promises, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You may know already that the whole of the Bible gives the unfolding story of redemption. But another great theme of the Bible is the will of God. I intend to show that each testament portrays that theme throughout. First, I consider the Old Testament. Picture in your mind the panoramic view of the Old Testament from the beginning to the end. It is hard to overlook that one of the themes of the Old Testament is the will of God. In the Old Testament, several groups of books are distinguishable partly by their substance and partly by their literary form. Those groups are, first, law, the five books from Genesis to Deuteronomy, known as the Pentateuch. Second, history. Twelve books from Joshua to Esther. Third, poetry and wisdom. Five books from Job to the Song of Solomon. And fourth, prophecy. Seventeen books from Isaiah to Malachi. This last division is not completely accurate because Lamentations is not prophetic. Daniel is partly historic and partly prophetic. And Jonah is a history of a prophet rather than prophecy. I will give a sampling of scriptures to prove my point about the will of God. This is the great message of the Old Testament, that all the situations that have made unpleasant the life of man have had their source in the departure from 
what Romans 12.2 calls that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And all the circumstances that have made pleasant the pilgrimage of individuals have sprung from abiding by the will of God. The historical books from Joshua to Esther tell the story of Israel's continual wandering away from God and show how all such wandering issued in disaster. They also reveal the unending purpose of God to bring them back into harmony with that will. The devout of all the ages whispered, if not in word yet in spirit, the same prayer found in Jesus' pattern of prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. The very essence of evil lay in the rebellion of the human heart against the kingdom and that will of God. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Certain Psalms address the kingdom and throne of God. The Lord reigns and your throne, O God, is forever and ever. When the Psalms address human experience at its best, then the Psalm points to the joy and peace found in the law of God. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. When the music of the Psalm becomes a dirge, however, it is because in individual and national life, God has been forgotten. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. That's in Psalms 32, verse 3. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. When a person wants to please God, they pray, deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. That's in Psalm 143, verses 9 and 10. The prophetic books have a similar characteristic. Nations that had forgotten God were called back to allegiance. Those nations persisting in their disobedience were told of their doom. The cry of the prophet Isaiah was, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon that's in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. Visualize all the hosts of men of all the centuries of the Old Testament. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, Elijah, and others that time forbids me naming. The question arises, what marks the difference between these and their fellow men? In every case, the measure of their superiority is the measure of their understanding of and obedience to the will of God. 
For example, Moses, after having learned to wait for God's guidance, gave the Ten Commandments produced by the finger of God. The product was the code of morality, which remains to this day, though multitudes have forsaken it. David's memory is revered, for he sang of the law of his God. Elijah was the messenger of the law to an apostate age, and his message was a foreshadow of the world's present need. Thus, from the beginning of the earth to the time of Malachi, the Old Testament brings us face to face with the supreme subject of the will of God. Now let's turn to the New Testament. If the will of God occupies one of the Old Testament's supreme subjects, the New Testament is equally occupied with the same concept. Every major section of the New Testament, the Gospels, Acts, the Epistles, and Revelation, refers supremely to the will of God. The life of Jesus revealed the will of God, and his teaching declared its nature and necessity. On one occasion, when his disciples urged him to eat, he replied, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. That's in John chapter 4, verse 34. In reply to his critics, he dared to say, He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. That's in John chapter 8, verse 29. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is the Magna Carta of the will of God. He begins with Beatitudes. In solemn words, he sets the condition upon which people may enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who professes their spiritual activity has done the will of God. Jesus closes the sermon with this promise. Everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon a rock. That's in Matthew 7, verse 24. After the resurrection of Jesus, the high priest had Jesus' apostles put in jail. But an angel released them and told them, Go, stand and speak to the people in the temple. The whole message of this life. They did that, but the high priest had them brought before him. He said to them, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet 
You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. That's in Acts chapter 5, verse 28. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on the cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The apostles were flogged and ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. But they went on their way, and every day in the temple, they kept on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Once we know the will of God, we must obey despite opposition. Turning to the epistles, I take illustrations from Peter and John, already having mentioned many references from Paul. From 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I read, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. From 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. The world is passing away, and the less of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Lastly, in reviewing the New Testament concerning the will of God, we come to the prophetic book of Revelation. One passage says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. That's in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Another passage relates concerning the ten horns, for God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. That's in Revelation chapter 17, verse 17. Allow me to close this episode by reminding you, exercise daily, walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.